Jesse Shell once said, A good game gives us meaningful accomplishment, clear achievement that we don't necessarily get from real life. This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we are talking about the Game Crafter. So tell me, what is the Game Crafter? The Game Crafter is a print-on-demand service where game designers can upload their ideas to their website and print off custom board games, card games, custom playing card decks, and then self-publish them online so other people can buy them. It is a fairly intuitive little site that doesn't really handhold you along the way, but gives you all the tools you need to make industry-quality board games. Now, what I remember of the Game Crafter from my personal experience is that they had a booth at Gen Con where they were selling game components sort of a la carte. Um, As I recall, they were doing like meeples by weight and things like that. Uh, Is that kind of reflective of the service to some degree, that they're... uh, just to be clear for our listeners, I don't really have any experience with the Game Crafter. This is uh, definitely Jeremy's baby because he's got a lot of experience uh, as far as the Game Crafter is concerned. And we have a few games in front of us that are representative of what the Game Crafter allows designers to do. But largely, this is going to be me talking to Jeremy about his experiences with this. So anyway, like I said, my experience is pretty limited to that booth at Gen Con where they had like all these game components a la carte. It was really cool because I got like five pounds of meeples out of it and things like that. But uh, is that kind of representative of it? That's kind of an a la carte sort of uh, service for those sort of things? Yes, they sell all sorts of individual components that you can just buy alone or If you are a game designer, you can put them into a game design project, and they will drop them into the box. Uh, We have three games sitting here in front of us, and each of them has different cards and boards and chits and all sorts of little uh, plastic pieces. So let's go through these and talk about what these games are and what they do. The first game that we have is The Captain is Dead. Now, I noticed that this is the AEG version of it. There is also a Game Crafter version, and I've seen that as well. Looks like pretty much the same game, though. Is that correct? Yeah, from what I can tell, it is exactly the same game, just slightly different components. It has a plastic insert, and it's sold by AEG. One of the interesting things about the Game Crafter is once you upload a game to their site, you still maintain all of the rights to that game. So if, for example, you want to sell the rights off to AEG and let them produce the game, you can take it off the Game Crafter and they can go, yeah, okay, whatever, sell your game. It is your game. The Captain is Dead is made by J.T. Smith and Joe Price. J.T. Smith is one of the founders of the Game Crafter. It's like the old, like, you know, not only am I the owner, but I'm also a client sort of thing going on. Exactly. The Captain is Dead goes for $49.99, and from what I can see, it's actually a really good price for the game. Yeah, it looks like the prices are the same between the Game Crafter version and the AEG version. I'm looking at the component lists, and what I notice is that the main difference is that the AEG version of the game has these clear plastic stand-ups for the characters where the character is the art represented on the clear plastic stand-up. 
but is just on like this, I guess it's like kind of a shrinky dink film, it feels like almost. But the one from the Game Crafter just uses stand up pawns that you would affix stickers to to represent the character. So right there, that's that's a minor difference, but I feel like that's barely an aesthetic difference even. Everything else looks pretty much the same. The the art and design is just slightly different between the two, and I feel like maybe they were just trying to refine it a little. And the little missiles that come with the game that represent the torpedoes that the ship has, those appear to be exactly the same between the two versions. So in general, the components are pretty standardized between the two, and everything about the game looks pretty much exactly the same. Now, we've played The Captain is Dead a couple of times. Yes, The Captain is Dead is set at the last 10 minutes of your favorite sci-fi television series, where aliens are attacking your ship, the systems are knocked out, uh, and worse yet, The Captain is Dead. Hence the title. You are the crew of the ship trying to run around and repair the systems and get the jump drive up to power to jump away from this horrible situation. As the game goes along, a number of alert cards keep going, which keep knocking out systems and making things just worse. Some of them are new alien ships come in and attack you. Other times it's your shields are reduced. If your shields are reduced all the way and you take a hit, you explode. Aliens can beam onto your ship, so you have to go around and shoot them and defeat them so that way you can keep moving and repairing things. All sorts of systems are offline, but as the game goes on, they get harder and harder. Uh, One of the last cards that gets turned over is just, you lose the game. If this card turns over, you lose. Right. So as the game progresses, it gets harder and harder. And we've played this a few times. Uh, We've won, what, one out of our four games we've played of it? One out of four sounds about right. Yeah, one out of four games, uh, approximately. And it's actually a very entertaining game. It's got a lot going on for it. There's a lot of depth to strategy. It does fall into the one weakness that a lot of multiplayer games have, and that is that it's very vulnerable to quarterbacking. You can have one person who generally kind of directs everyone and tells them what they should be doing. And unfortunately, in many cases, there are obvious optimal strategies, which Unfortunately, does lend itself specifically to quarterbacking. But in general, it's a really interesting game. It's one of the more challenging, I mean, outside of like Ghost Story, it's one of the most challenging multiplayer games that multiplayer cooperative games that I've played. And it's a really enjoyable experience. If this is demonstrative of what you're able to do with the Game Crafter, that's a pretty solid point in its favor. It's uh, definitely... Uh, great for giving the ability to design these sort of things. Yeah, the reason that we picked this one to go first is it's really a good benchmark for what type of game can be designed with the Game Crafter, and it is one of the best co-op games I have played. I like this as the benchmark, and so the other games that we'll show here, we'll keep comparing to the uh, component quality and the quality of game that The Captain is Dead is. The next game that we have is Fate of the Mortals. Okay, Fate of the Mortals has kind of a Greek mythology theme, and each of the players takes on the role of one of the gods who has certain favoritism towards some mortals and disdain for other mortals and wants to see mortals prosper or fail in specific ways. Now, this is another game that we've played a few times. Yes, it is a competitive game where all of the characters can move 
each of the individual mortals. The mortals are represented by these different colored sticker dice that have different treasures that they can pick up throughout the dungeon. And you play down different parts of the dungeon and you move the mortals through it, either trying to get the appropriate treasure and get them to escape, or to kill them so that way the other players can't score the points for them. It is a very quick game. I've played one game in uh, 10 minutes. I don't think I've had a game last longer than 20. On the box it says 15 to 30 minutes, but 30 minutes would be an incredibly long yeah, game. Yeah, I think we played one game of this that was like 8 minutes, and uh, we weren't even really trying to rush it. It just happened that everybody was able to achieve what they wanted to achieve in such a short amount of time. And I think that was one of the games where we actually had like the closest final score too so in general it's a very fast game and i guess that really helps cover up a multitude of sins Uh, as far as sins are concerned with this game i would say that one of the biggest i had when i was playing it is that the gods are pretty lopsided some of them have goals that seem significantly easier to achieve than others and some of them have more ways to gain points than others you know, things like that. So there's a bit of a balance issue, and I haven't really sat down to do the math to figure it out, but I remember noticing that just from an intuitive perspective when people were scoring the game. Um, the asymmetry isn't necessarily bad in games, but it can lend itself to a uh, kind of a lopsided experience where you end up feeling like you were shortchanged from the get-go, that you had the hardest opportunity to win, And that can be frustrating, but what we really want to talk about is, of course, the components, because this is the GameCrafter version of this game. And I'd like to start out really quick by saying I love this box. Um, We're going to obviously include pictures of this, but this box... um, This box is split down the middle uh, with like an outer box and an inner box and you lift the lid off so that it kind of cuts down into that inner box. It's uh, part way down so it doesn't it doesn't make like a uh, solid seal all the way down uh, to the bottom which can lend itself to boxes getting jarred or messed up when you pull them apart it really reminds me of the old vhs clamshell cases oh yeah yeah great example yeah it does have a lot of that sort of charm to it and i like that because it is easy to open and easy to close and it's just a very aesthetically pleasing box to me now you were mentioning earlier that the big fallback of that i'm sorry the big downfall of that box is that If you put it on your shelf, well, I guess there's two downfalls. One is that you can't actually flip the bottom box over and nest it in the lid, so you have to set the lid aside, and I guess that could potentially be annoying if you have a real premium on space. But then second, you were pointing out that when you put them vertically on your shelf, they tend to separate. Yeah, all of my games I store uh, sideways on the shelf to allow more games per shelf. Which is perfectly fine if you don't jostle the games too much. If you do jostle them, they have a tendency to, the components have a tendency to fall out of the vacuum for, form trays inside of them. Yeah, see, that's why I never do that. So, uh, so this particular type of box is ideal for me because I store all my games, uh, flat on their backs. Yours are stored kind of like books on a shelf and, I'd like to say there's nothing wrong with that, but it's wrong. It's incorrect. I'm sorry. You just, you're doing it wrong. 
but I'm going to forgive you and point out that at least you fit a lot of games on a shelf. But I can see where this sort of box would be a problem with that because, like you said, it does tend to separate. And you even showed me you held it vertically and kind of shook it back and forth a little and it separated pretty readily. So I can see where that would be a problem. Except that your shelves are always so stocked full of games that I can't see it having the leeway it needs to move like that. So it's hardly even a problem. I don't get it. I like the print quality on the outside of the box. A lot of cheaper games that I have bought have kind of a unfinished paper feel, but this definitely has a, uh, a smooth, glossy finish. Mm-hmm. Um, the print quality is high DPI, high dots per inch. don't think it's a dot matrix print style. I think it's a printing press style. But, I mean, that's, that's only if you really are looking uh, super close at it for uh, quality of the box. What comes in the box is actually what I'm a little disappointed in. All of the components, with the exception of a little score tracking board, feel like they could have fit into a smaller box. Yeah, I I noticed that. It's like the only item that doesn't fit directly into the box. Uh, one of the things that I, I noticed is that the rule book is a little half-size rule book, and it's it's nice. It's a very quick rule book. It's 10 pages long, and so it doesn't need to be a big rule book. But it, it is small, and it uh, fits in here. Also, uh, I don't like the font used inside the, the rule book. It's a little hard to read sometimes, but that's that's a minor little nitpick. Can I see that again? Yeah, it's been a minute since I've looked at this rule book. Oh yeah, yeah, they chose uh they chose a font that kind of looks like the font from the Disney Hercules movie and it's uh it ends up being a small caps font, which uh, is kind of one of my uh design pet peeves. I don't like it when an entire thing is written in small caps, but it's not unreadable or anything. The next thing I want to talk about is this scoring board. Once again, the same high-gloss finish printed front and back. There's no unfinished cardboard on uh, the playing sides of this. And it's easy to read. It has the graphics on here, and you use small little wooden cubes of the appropriate color to mark the health of the different mortals that are in this underground tomb. And eventually they went up to a certain amount of damage and just die. Or, if they escape, it has a nice little area to put them that shows that they escape from the underground. Once again, this is a, a nice component. It's the only piece that is so big that it needs this size of box. But, it's it's pretty good. Uh, the next thing that we have are these little, little chits. Now, these are printed on chipboard, printed front and back. Really good quality. I've did, you, did you have to punch those out, or did they come like that? I had to punch them out. Okay. One of the problems I have with a number of uh, little chits and chipboard pieces is as you're punching them out, some of them have a tendency to remain affixed to the, their sprue and rips it just a little bit. Oh, I hate that so much. It's it's like it's like pulling a hangnail. It's the worst. <laughs> These did not have that problem. These were laser cut, so they actually smelled a little sooty, a little ashy, but they only had very small connection points, and so weren't going most of the time chits are done with a big big cutting device a, yeah a like die, a, a die cut uh, yeah die cut, cut press yeah and so sometimes they don't cut all the way through all the bits of paper and that's what causes that tearing but these were uh, laser cut and so i don't think that the game crafter components can do that uh, horrible ripping not unless you're i don't know punching them at 
fast speed with your fingers trying to race a friend, going punch, 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 punch. Which might conceivably happen, to be fair, but I see also that it has two different types of card in here. It's got these square ones, and uh, when we played the game, the square ones were the ones that were used to construct the maze that the mortals are trapped in. Then it has some either bridge-sized or poker-sized cards. Yeah, I know, those are basically the same size, but it's like a eighth of an inch difference in width um the poker size cards are uh what the gods are printed on and you keep them secret in front of you you, you look at them and go okay i want this mortal to do this this mortal to do this this mortal to do this and it it shows the name of the god you're playing and a slight outline of them uh, there's also rules reference cards in here and yeah as you pointed out the uh Square cards are the dungeon tile cards. You hold them in your hand, you play them out, and then you move the mortals onto them. Uh, print quality is very good, I have to say. A lot of print-on-demand things, the print quality, at least in my recollection, I admit I haven't delved into any sort of print-on-demand since uh, <sighs> 1999, but... Um, <laughs> But these these are really good quality. Even if I look very carefully, I'm not seeing any sort of pixelation. Uh, the colors are crisp and vivid, and all the shapes are really very, very visible. Everything is very readable, and the contrasts and coloration all seem really good. Um, seems like the only thing that could possibly be an issue is the quality of your graphic design. Yeah, and that is one of the uh, big things about this game. This is one of the ones that actually looks really good. On the Game Crafter, there are a number of games that are just this... It's a game idea, a game concept without a graphic designer behind it, so they fall back on uh, rudimentary shapes and symbols to uh, get across the idea, and uh, a lot of times uh, pixel art on cards that isn't even very good pixel art. Yeah, pixel art is kind of hit and miss. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's done really well, like in Boss Monster or uh, Pixel Lincoln. But then most of the time, it's just a mass of yuck that is trying to uh, save on graphic design costs. But just browsing through the Game Crafter, it does look like the design quality uh, varies wildly. But of course, you know, that's the nature of print-on-demand, is it gives everyone an opportunity to put their designs out there and, and get their ideas out. One last thing I do want to mention about these cards is they are black core cards. Th this is me getting uh, nerdy about game components. So a lot of playing cards that you buy, just you know, uh, poker cards, are printed on white card stock and then sealed with plastic. Um, and that's perfectly fine because it's two pieces stuck together with glue, mm -hmm. and so it doesn't allow light through. Um, board game cards are one piece of paper printed on both sides, and so the paper composition actually is thinner, and if you shine a light through it, it will shine all the way through. So to deal with this, they have a black core on these, uh, uh, on these cards, and so it helps prevent light shining through. If you've ever prototyped a game at your house with just 3x5 index cards, 
you can see very quickly after you've drawn on with marker that if your opponent is holding the cards in just the right way, the lights behind them show exactly what they have in their hand. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a pretty big problem with them. They're very see-through. So, yeah, so these cards these cards are not see-through, and that is a good point as well. So that's an excellent uh, point of quality there. And I believe that's everything that's in Fate of the Mortals. This game is $50.99, designed by Bo Roberts. I got it on sale. I think it was like a 20% off sale at the time, and it's, it's pretty decent. It's pretty good. It's not a game that I recommend everyone go out and play, but if what we've talked about makes it sound interesting, if you have uh, interest in making a game on the Game Crafter, this contains a lot of the Game Crafter components, so you can really see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a fun, quick pickup game. It's definitely one that I would like to break out when waiting around for people to show up to a game night. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, last game on our list is our first piece of shameless self-promotion. This is Tales of Eventyr. It's a game by Jeremy and Timmy Skittles. They've been working on it for about, uh, it's got to be nine months now, right? Uh, eight or nine months. Eight or nine months, right. So this is your uh, final production version of it, right? I haven't played this version of the game. I've played the playtest version at several different stages, but it definitely looks like there's a lot in here. Now, this is a cooperative deck-building game with sort of a role-playing theme to it. Can you tell us about this? Yes. Tales of Eventyr started out as an idea that Timmy Skittles had where he wanted to make a role-playing game that incorporated the deck-building mechanic. He really enjoys deck-building games. We have Dominion and a ton of its expansions. We have Legendary and almost all of its expansions, and they are just really fun games to pick up and play and play multiple times in a row. And so he wanted to bring that into a a role-playing game. He is my roommate, and I was sitting there talking with him about him like, well, this is interesting, I, I like the idea, but it might just work better as a board game. And so we talked and we decided on using the Game Crafter. Now, uh, this game is $79.99. It contains 558 cards. Yeah, that is that that's more than the base game of Legendary. Yeah, that's a lot. It also has a full-size rulebook and these really cool little colored crystals which are used to track people's life. Everyone has a class that they're playing and a race that they are and they're buying from these cards to build their deck. As the turns go by, an enemy deck deploys enemies and they come out, do their attacks, and then you get a chance to try and kill them before they run away. Mm -hmm. And the whole goal of the game is to deplete this enemy deck enough until there are fewer enemies in it than the number of players. This is a pretty heavy game. It's it's once again in that same side-split box. (laughs) I love that box. Every single piece of this was... It was a bit of a decision between how much we want to spend on the game how much we want to make the game cost, and what quality we were going for. Let's let's talk about the design of the box uh, real quick. Okay. Um, so we have the front here. It's a decent front, nice, clean, and crisp. Whereas on the back, we had to include action pictures of the cards. We had to include a description. We had to con- include a contents. And we even have a barcode on there in case uh, people want to sell it in a storefront. All the different parts of that were a discussion where we had to go through and go, okay, What cards do we want to display on the back? What do we want to say about the game? We only have a limited amount of space. 
how do we introduce this game in this world? Likewise, inside the box, the game comes with a bunch of these clear plastic bags and Yep, you do have to separate all of the cards out. All of the decks come just shuffled together in a couple of big packs. Okay. And let's see, there are four classes, four races divided into two different race cards, five enemy decks, and let's see, there's the universal decks, like your health potions mm-hmm. and your treasure maps. Treasures and shields and such, yeah. I'm looking at, this is the first time I've actually looked at this rule book. I have to admit, and looks like a pretty intuitive rule book as far as explaining how the game is played and it looks like you settled on eight different uh is there eight different decks of enemies in here no there's uh five different decks of enemies what you're looking at right there is the uh campaign we included in the game because uh one of the design decisions of this game was to have it have oh parts that go between between games as you go along you level up your character you get more hit points your attacks become more powerful you get more uh more access to different powers oh and it looks like yeah it looks like there's some interchangeability between the decks is that correct there are the enemies are divided into four tiers of enemies there's the greens which are very weak there's the blues which are stronger the purples which are stronger than that and then there's the bosses those are red and they are the, the hardest hitting and strongest monsters in the deck. And if you want, you can change out greens from one enemy deck and put them into another enemy deck. Or you can go around that and just swap in uh, whole enemy groups. Okay, so there's some mix and matching. Another thing that uh, we have in here are two challenge decks. They are ones that we built and put together to be incredibly challenging encounters. They're everywhere. This is where all the enemies just keep deploying and attacking and um, do a lot of damage, and there's just so many of them out there. Then there's the stunning amount of poison. It gives you a bunch of dead cards in your deck, Mm -hmm. making it really hard to actually kill them. Now now that I kind of have you on the spot here, John, I... I do really want your uh, your opinion of this game. Uh, you said that you'd play tested it, but uh, what are your full opinions of this game? Like a lot of deck building games, it does have that element of early frustration that really kind of drives you to try to make the best choices as quickly as you can to try to turn around your odds. Uh, early on, I, I always feel like I'm getting just pelted by enemies that I don't have any real way to stop until I get some good things in my hand to actually... Uh, deal with them and that does lend an element of enjoyable frustration to the experience where you're trying to turn around your luck make it so that you can actually take these things on i do like the art uh is that that mostly you or timmy skittles with the photoshop timmy skittles did most of the photoshopping he he has photoshop and was just learning it i I went through graphic design classes in college. And so a lot of uh, what it was was me sitting there going, hey, why don't you do this? Well, that that would be really hard. I'd have to do this and this and this and this and this. Or... Or you just press this button, this button, this button. It does exactly what you want to do. (laughs) We went to a number of stock photo sites, got pictures, pulled them into Photoshop, manipulated them, and then put them into the card frames. I'm showing you now the Lord of Demons... One of my absolute favorite pieces of art from this game. That's actually, uh, that is really cool. I did like the art on the cards. I do notice that the art style is a lot more consistent in this version of it than it was in some of the early playtest versions, at least between the, the different decks and types. Uh, I remember in the early versions, 
the art was a little it was all good art but it didn't have like a consistent style to it and it looks like from what i'm seeing the newer version has a more consistent style at least within each given deck and archetype i like that um yeah, uh, the early playtests, we just... You just were throwing whatever you could onto the cards so that you had something to represent it, right? Yeah, we tried, yeah. We, we tried to not spend longer than 10 minutes on the art for each individual card. Gotcha. And then as we went along, we went, okay, we really don't like the art for this card and this card. Let's go find something new and change it around. Um, and yeah, the uh, the art is was surprisingly difficult to get down but once we did it the game starts uh, looking like a cohesive whole okay well my experience with the game i want to say six times i played it i'm gonna go with six because that sounds like a pretty close number anyway the six times i played it um my experience with the game was typically that uh in most cases it would go one of three ways either uh, especially early on, a lot of times I would be able to get what I needed. And then once I hit a certain stride, I was just steamrolling through enemies. And I know that in the subsequent playtests, that wasn't as common. And in the last playtest that I played, which I know was not this finished version, I know that things felt a lot tighter. I felt like I was actually like putting a lot of effort into making sure that I was... Uh, holding everything tight and getting exactly what I needed and playing what I felt was the most optimal strategy to try to knock things out of the way um, and focus on the enemies that I really wanted to not have to deal with again. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that early on, I know that it felt like I would either hit that stride and immediately start demolishing everything or I wouldn't hit that stride and then I'd fall short. And I know that in the subsequent versions... Uh, that was no longer the case. It was definitely moving toward more of a balance where I would find myself uh, just finally getting a leg up and either barely overcoming the challenge or falling just short of it, which actually is about the most satisfying game experience you can have with a game like this. Um, not counting, you know, not counting games like Ghost Story, where kind of the whole point is that it's all stacked against you and you're never going to freaking win until that one time you come out on top. I mean, this is more of a, a tighter experience in that respect. So uh, without rambling too much, I guess uh, I guess what I'm saying is that I felt like it was definitely approaching a level of really playable balance. And I'm excited to play this uh, full version of it and see how you guys refined it in the end. Once again, that's Tales of Eventyr. It does cost 80 bucks, but it does contain a lot of pieces and parts and a ton of cards. And I, I really think that we put a lot of value into this game. And a lot of love into it. Um, you guys really did outdo yourself as far as actually, like, working this all out. When you guys said you were going to do this, I was expecting, you know five or six little uh, decks total and even like in the early play test i was kind of blown away by how much you guys were bringing to the table all right so that's the game crafter let's just say why we wanted to do this episode i know that i wanted to do this episode to talk about how cool it is to have a game idea in your head and having a place that you can go and make that game come true make it possible um 
I know that there's a, a couple of other places online that you can do that. There's uh, board game makers, but they don't allow you to buy games through their site. They they only let you make and produce your own games. And I like the ability to go out and see what other people have done. See what people who like games but aren't necessarily in the gaming industry put down and make into a game. And I wanted to do this episode because I love seeing the power to design and create going back into people's hands. I've been uh, pretty involved in the open source movement since the late 90s when I was really coming into my stride with things like programming. And for me, one of the most revolutionary things that ever happened in gaming was the release of 3rd Edition Dungeons & Dragons and the open gaming license, which allowed anyone to design whatever they wanted to for the D&D with only a few minor restraints. And this is another great example of how returning that power to people and giving them the opportunity to prove their designs and show things off really uh, gives us the ability to see creativity flourish and experience a lot of amazing things that otherwise would not be possible. And the Game Crafter is a great example of that. So, up next, we have NPC Construction. Now, this is going to be an episode where John and I talk about uh, the proper way to make NPCs that are memorable, interesting, and more importantly, correct for the type of game you're running. Right. Uh, We're going to discuss not only how we design NPCs, but we're even going to take a look at some of the more successful design concepts in NPCs, games that have done really good jobs of giving us memorable NPCs and showing us exactly what can be done when you pay attention to what makes characters interesting, what engages your players. So, this has been Save Versus Rant. Thank you very much for listening. 90% of games lose money. 10% of games make a lot of money. Gabe Newell. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at saveversusrant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.